Welcome to The Things We Say. I'm Sheldon. And I'm Nate. This is a topical podcast where the topics are chosen at random. Sometimes they will be profound, and sometimes they will be stupid. But no matter what, we have a lot to say about them. We are known for the things we do. We become the things we think. We live the things we believe. These are the things we say. back on the things we say i'm sheldon and i'm nate and tonight we don't have an exact plan but no, we have a few ideas we have a few ideas <laughs> but nothing nothing concrete so i <laughs> our buddy nelson who has appeared formerly on this podcast gave me a brief news article that i was supposed to share with nate <laughs> just to kick off this episode and i have not been primed on this i have no, no. idea what's about to happen have you watched the You Have Small Children? So I'm sure you have watched How to Train Your Dragon. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And Nico Parker, I guess, is one of the producers or something of okay. How to Train Your Dragon. He says the plot of How to Train Your Dragon remake will be very different and more inclusive and empowering. Nico, oh, no, uh, Nico Parker, or Nico, the character, will be Astrid in the live action and the cast will be diverse despite occurring in the Viking age in Scandinavia. And I'm showing you a photo from the billing there. They're making a live action, how to train your dragon. And, and they're make and they're replacing the, the hiccup character with Astrid is what was what we're saying. Yeah. Astrid's now going to be there the main go. character. You can read it. History will change. Ugh. Different and more this inclusive and empowering. Historically groundbreaking. A animated cartoon is becoming live action, and we're replacing all the characters in Viking Scandinavia to be more inclusive. <laughs> I think this is having its desired effect. <laughs> it just it it fills me with unbelievable rage. Like uh, here we go. All right, here's my thing. We've said on the podcast before yes. about how all of our heroes growing up were people of color. Yes. And all I want to know what happened. Where did everybody suddenly, between the 80s and like mid-90s, suddenly decide that there were no black heroes? Like, I do not understand this narrative. Like, why are we being well, that's gaslit? They made a big deal about Black Panther being the first, like, black superhero that kids could look up to. And I'm like... Uh, you finally, no, nothing against uh, Chadwick Boseman. No. Like, wonderful, wonderful actor. Yes. And should have been looked up to for any one of his roles. For and sure. the way he battled through them uh, over, like, during his cancer. Silently, yeah. with nobody finding out. Yeah, like one of the bravest individuals you've ever seen. Without but a doubt. Putting him in a cat suit and in the Marvel Universe was not the first time that we looked no. up to anyone I just, like that. I, I, don't, I don't understand. There's... I mean, yeah. yeah, we forget about Blade. We forget about Denzel Washington. We forget about, well, we forget about Wesley Snipes in general. You know, what about Sidney Poitier? What about... Even even better <laughs> than Adam Sandler, I enjoyed the Martin Lawrence movies yes. more than Adam Sandler's movies. Yes, or the Wayne's brother. Like, yeah. I just, I don't, I don't understand this, why we're being gaslit over all of this. I am, I have no problem with, with using... 
any kind well, of like any ethnicity I've, I've as got, a character. I don't right. care about that. It doesn't. But doesn't when you're matter. when you're just doing it to do it, when like, <sighs> it is frustrating. Yeah, and there are great there are great stories that you could tell. There are great and stories from from the African continent that you could tell. There are tons. I mean. There's all kinds of things, but instead it's like you're just you're just lazy. Like you're just being lazy. That's all you are. And who are you making these movies for? Like but who? I think I think what bothers me more than that is that I think in trying to avoid tokenism, they're actually doing it. They're doing it. it, exactly. They're doing it on purpose. <sighs> it's not good. No. Like it, yeah. I remember when I was a kid. There was I was very I was very young when this came out. Well, not very young. I was probably a, a, in junior high. But there's a version of Rodgers and Hammerstein's Cinderella that they came out with in the late 90s, 97, 98. And Brandy played Cinderella. Awesome. Right. She was beautiful. She was a huge pop star at the time. Was a had a clean kid-friendly image. Whitney Houston was the fairy godmother. I'm not going to ever argue with Whitney Houston doing anything at all ever, especially if she's singing. Um, but Bernadette Peters played the wicked stepmother, who's white as as white could be, and a redhead for that matter. One of her daughters was white, one of her daughters was black, and she constantly referred to their father as if that was one person. Okay, you could figure that out. But then explain to me how the white king in the movie and Whoopi Goldberg as the queen produced a Filipino son. Like they just they did all this stuff and I'm like, I get it. Like it's Disney. You're you you're just pulling in all this diversity, which is great. But even as a kid, I'm going like, how does that work? Like as a, as a younger kid, I'm like, how does that work? Make like, it makes sense. Like that that required a certain suspension of disbelief that just I couldn't get it to register. And I'm like, oh well, like it's just a musical, whatever. It's fun and it's good. You know, I'm not gonna and it's a great, it's a great movie. I love it. My kids love that movie. But like I just I don't understand. This incessant need to gender swap and race swap and do all of these things. Like, <laughs> it's troubling. Yeah. And especially when you can, you've proven that. And that's the thing. This isn't the racism of moviegoers. This is the racism of studio executives. Right. Who, you know, didn't want Jewish people making movies until Steven Spielberg's became, mar became marketable. You know, didn't care about Jewish directors. Uh, you know, and and all they could be was writers, pretty much. And the thing, like, there's all this stuff. It's like it's the bigotry of Hollywood. It's the bigotry of entertainment. It's not people. People no. don't care about these things, but they do care when you take a character they love and be like, "We don't care about your source material or what you actually love. We're going to do it all different now, because reasons." Like, ah, it's just anyway. I didn't expect this rant from myself, but here you are. This is the type of thing that Nelson does. To I know, our show. and he's giggling about it wherever he is now. I can hear his dumb <laughs> laughter that he has over a specific thing like this. But it does. It frustrates me because again, we're 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 pretending like like are we just erasing these eras of entertainers and actors? I mean, again, I mentioned Whitney Houston. I mean, I remember when she was the biggest thing in pop music, and Michael Jackson was the other biggest thing in pop music, and. You know, Tina Turner was huge. I mean, she had this huge comeback in the 80s, and she was, like, the queen of all things at that time. Like, I just don't understand this weird gaslighting that we're doing and, and how people are stupid enough, how their memory is so short that 
that uh, Jennifer Lawrence or whoever <sighs> that was. Could, oh, it was the it was the girl that was it the girl that played Captain Marvel. No, it was Jennifer Lawrence. Jennifer Lawrence, who love, was like, and I love Jennifer Lawrence. She was she was the first female action star. Yeah, and I'm, and like, I'm like, no, go talk to Sigourney on. Weaver and, Uma and see how she feels about that. And Uma Thurman. Yeah, I'm like, I just don't. And even before that, like, literally, Kill Bill was and, a franchise. Well, and here's the thing: it's this need to pretend like you're doing something great when you're not doing anything right. at all. And and it's it's a it's a bunch of people acting like this is. And like the article was saying, it's historical right. in some way. Right. Historical how so? Right. Well, and that's the thing. Like, I know like the, the new Little Mermaid was a huge controversy. Yeah. I would have been great with it if they would have just said, we're going to switch the setting to the Caribbean. Oh. Great. Make the whole cast black and just make that, make that fit. Like, make it work. Great. That would have made sense. And you could have kept the historical context. It would have worked, all the things. But it's like you just, you're just swapping out this one character just so you can do it. I don't understand that. And I'm sorry, I can't remember his name, but the guy who wrote for him the, wrote the Hamilton musical. Can we stop with him writing music for every single thing? Like, can we just stop? Uh, why can't I remember? Uh, Manuel Miranda, or whatever his name is. Uh, why can't yeah. I remember his name? My, 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 I'm, pl- I'm blanking here. But, like, he writes for everything, and everything sounds like him. Encanto was him. Moana was him. He wrote new stuff for the Little Mermaid movie. Uh, what else has he done? Well, obviously, uh, he did Hamilton. And, and the man is an extreme talent. Like, I have no issue with the man. But, like, come on. Like, extend beyond this. Like, do some other things. Do some other things. And let the man do other things for crying out loud. Ugh. <laughs> okay, I'm going to stop. There, now. angry old stop. man rant. Jeez. I think that's exactly what Nelson said. You're welcome, Nelson. <laughs> He's like... You're a jerk. <laughs> He's like, please don't tell him it was me and that I wanted to hear his old man rant until after he rants. Ha ha ha. Oh, well, I hope you are satisfied. There you go. There you go. Man alive. So on another note, uh last week I I preached on Joseph and was talking about the life the life of Joseph. This is there's no segue to this. This is just a great I'm great a with hard that. turn into We're just gonna do else. hard turns all yeah, night. I was talking about I was talking about the life of Joseph, and I was making a point, and then all of a sudden, hearing the other part of the story here today, I'm like, did I really have a point? And then I thought this afternoon, I think I do. You did have a point. I know. It was (laughs) great. I'll tell you why I second-guessed myself. And the first one... Look at how look at how high my my peaks are on that. Nate is the loudest (laughs) on our little... I'm sorry, Sheldon. Make your point, please. We're looking at the up and down lines on our yes, recording. Yes, the, the sound wave on the on the recording. Tells us how loud we are. Dang I don't it, know Nelson. what we're looking at. Anyway, so <laughs> I was talking about Joseph and how his... Uh, it, I was saying, like, God did not throw Joseph in prison. No. And so I was making this point because some people like to blame God for bad things that happen and evil, like evil things that happen yeah. in, in our lives. And we say, well, God is all knowing and he controls everything. And so this thing is happening to me because God wants that. Yeah. And I've made the point with Joseph at the lowest point in his story, which is where he's sitting in prison, forgotten. Yeah. I I made the point that God did not throw Joseph in prison because if you break down the elements... God is not a vindictive brother mm-hmm. who was like, I don't like this kid. I'm going to k- 
kill him. Wait, no, I'm just going to sell him. Yeah. God was not that. Right. God is not Potiphar's wife who did an injustice to, to right. Joseph and actually used the law against him. Right. God's not about injustice. God's also not an angry master, who Potiphar was. He comes right. in, he's angry, he does something in anger, although he doesn't kill Joseph either because he knows kind of what's right. going on. He, he had the power to kill Joseph, and he did it. Right. And so there was injustice done. All of that is not in God's category, right? Right. So God did not throw Joseph in prison. And then you get to Genesis 45, and Joseph reveals himself to his brothers, and he says... Now, do not be upset and do not be angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me ahead of you to preserve life. Yeah. And then in verse 7, he says, God sent me ahead of you to preserve you on the earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. Yeah. So now it is not you who sent me here, but God. <laughs> yeah. But I still don't think that the journey is necessarily what it was. And actually, there's correct. The, here's the thing: this is this is actually a really good illustration that I, well, I think it's a good illustration, um, where where a certain understanding of who God is or what God expects can lead to something terrible, and yet turn out for good. Um, Corey Ten Boom, if if you've never heard of her, uh, was a was a German woman, yeah, who uh, helped hide uh, Jewish people during the Holocaust. Her family. Uh, literally built a hiding place in their in their home, and brought them in. Her dad was very. I mean, he wore a a uh, Jewish star in solidarity uh, because he would he would literally tell them like, "I worship the same God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that you do. I'm a Christian, but I know like this is we worship right. the same God. I'm not going to. I'm gonna I'm gonna go in solidarity with you." Um, so they they firmly believed as Christians they they had to do something about this and they weren't I think he was just a clockmaker they weren't anything special yeah. uh, they just decided they were going to do this and they had a very um, uh, pacifistic view of of what God expected of them um, and so it, there came a time when the people they were working with in the underground that were helping smuggle Jews and and keep them there and then smuggle them out after a time came to them and said hey there is this particular man who is coming around, and he is not uh, an actual Jew. He is, he's an he's a infiltrator. He's a spy. When he shows up here, because he will, you need to tell us. Because when he comes here, we will come. You keep him here. Tell us he's here. We will come, and we will take care of him. Well, of course, they knew that that meant that the man would die. And they gave him the man's name. They gave him the aliases that he was operating under. They gave him this paper and said, here. And they wouldn't use it because again, to their mind, it would have been mm. unchristian to be involved in any way in the death of this man. Hmm. Eventually he came around. Eventually they were turned into uh, the Gestapo. They were sent to concentration camps and everyone, if I remember correctly in her family, except for her died in concentration camps. And she wow. ended up getting out on a clerical error the day that the women in her age category were supposed to be executed. Wow. God used that to create an incredible story of forgiveness and love in the midst of hatred. Her testimony is phenomenal. Right. I do not think that it was necessarily what God wanted to happen. Right. I think their understanding of what was expected of them got in the way of the actual mission that they were there for, which was to save people. 
Who knows? And they saved, I believe, hundreds of people. Who knows how many hundreds more they could have saved right? had they just chosen to do the other thing. And again, I'm not saying they were wrong. They stood by their convictions. They stood by what the whole, they felt the Holy Spirit was showing them and what they understood God to be. Right. I don't think that was wrong or sinful or any of that. But I'm like, I don't think God wanted you to suffer in the way that you suffered. I don't think that was his goal. But he right. turned it for good. And I think the same would have, would have been true for Joseph. And I think Joseph is seeing it in that light. I would love to go back to the original language and see what he was speaking there yeah. a little more. Yeah. Um, because I, I would agree. It that stood out to me. Yeah. He's, he says, God sent me. And uh, the, what the footnote in my Bible said is the repetition of this God sent me theme that God sent Joseph is reminiscent of commission narratives in which the leader could announce that God had sent him. So it was more declarative than it was reflective, Basic, almost. Yeah, he's basically saying God sent me yeah. here to do this. Yeah, which and, I've, and I think it's more a recognition of what God had done for him. Yeah, and saying clearly God has empowered me in this place and in this right. land, and I now have the opportunity to save your life. Right, but yeah, did uh, yeah. <laughs> the question is how much. Of that responsibility is God's responsibility yeah. because that and the way I said it and I still stand by it is and I got there this afternoon I'm like yes I yeah. I, I was correct on that yeah. even though immediately I'm like mm-hmm. because if you're a literalist right you have to say well God sent him it's in the Bible right That's, but this is Joseph's perspective right That's, right you, so you got well and I I often think the same of Moses like. If Moses had kept his head and not killed the Egyptian, he probably would have been in a place of power that he could have affected right. the release of the Hebrews later. Was it God, was it God's will for Moses to even be in the wilderness yeah. that he was in? Yeah. To see the burning bush. Yeah. I, and so that's one of those things where I'm like or could have he been in Pharaoh's court and just one day the Lord comes to him in a dream or right. in a burning bush and says, "Right, time for you to lead my people." Yeah, so yeah. It's, it's he probably didn't have to kill the Egyptian to get there. Right, and so there's all kinds of things where you see that where again God uses the things because that's the thing we make this mistake that because God's will will not be thwarted, we automatically think that we have no choice in the matter. Yes, everything if if God's will is over here at point B, right. And I'm starting here from point A. His will will be accomplished at point B. Right. Not everything between A and B is his no. fault. And not only that, he doesn't need me to accomplish that. Right. Like the, the delusion that we have that God will force us to be, do, and or participate in his plan is unbelievable because he does not need us. He wants to partner with us. He wants to come alongside of us and have him have us actively participate in the building of his kingdom. But there's going to be somebody else if it's not you. His will will be done, period. But it doesn't have to be you. Yeah. Anyway. It, it was just an interesting thing because I'm like, I know this, this, is, this is true because we know that God works everything to for good because he is good and so yeah. he can't do anything else he's going to work it for good yeah if he's working it's going to be good and so even these bad things that people made free will choices to do right like his brothers throwing him in a pit potiphar's wife potiphar doing these things they all made choices and it showed up in joseph's life yeah but 
Yeah, I, I don't know. It was very, it was very interesting I to me. I wonder. I also wonder, like, so obviously this whole thing with Potiphar's wife had been going on for a while. Like, it wasn't just two incidents. You know, real quick aside. Yeah. Hang on to that. Yes. Justice thought the other day was like, whoever said that Potiphar's wife was attractive at all? That's true. That's very true. <laughs> and I was like, good point. We always think of her as like this seductive temptress. And yeah. I'm like, she, she might may, have not no. been that good looking. She may have resembled Jabba the Hutt in every way. <laughs> Who knows, man? Who anyway, knows? Anyway, you were going to make a point. But no, my point being is like, if he had all this trust with Potiphar. Yeah. Like, and this is part of why I think Potiphar didn't kill him. Because like you said, I think Potiphar knew, like, this didn't actually happen. But I got to save face with this guy. So he's going to prison. Well, one of Potiphar's possible titles was chief Uh, executioner. executioner. Yeah, yeah. And so I wonder, what if Joseph had just gone to Potiphar and been like, listen, man, this is happening. And I'm not going to do this. Can you please make this stop? Like... You can't tell me that the man who has all the authority in the entire house couldn't have come to Potiphar and been like, you know, your wife's coming on to me. I don't know what to do. Like, obviously, that's putting it in a bit of a, bit of a 21st century window. Right. But there had to have been some equivalent. Well, uh, and from what I was reading, it was culturally at the time, the Egyptian women, this right. wouldn't have been unheard of. Right. Like, they were known to right. not stay within the bounds of their marriage. Right. And so, so, and again, I, you know, maybe it was, she probably felt entitled. Maybe it was an extended time when Potiphar was away where she decided that like, maybe he didn't have that opportunity, but you just wonder along the lines, there's a lot that, a lot of mistakes that Joseph made that got him into the situations that he found. We, 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 we praise him for running out of the situation, which was good. But at the same time, I'm like, you didn't say anything. Like you didn't tell anybody that this was going on. You just kind of sat on it. Like, what, what were you afraid was going to happen, you know? If you hadn't been such a tool with your brothers, they never would have hated you so much. They never would have thrown you in the pit to begin with. And poor Reuben, man, he tried. He tried yeah, you, so hard. You do feel for Reuben. Oh, man, he tried so hard. And he was the one that Joseph was kind of mean to at one point because his character remained. And he's the one that he threw in prison for a while. Wasn't that Reuben? No, he threw Judah in prison. Was it Judah? Yeah. Well, was it Judah that came back for him then? Uh, Reuben volunteered to keep his two sons. Like he basically said, I'd have to look back and remember now. Reuben, Reuben, not his two sons. Reuben swore on his two sons that he would bring Benjamin, Benjamin back. back. Okay. Yeah. 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 And he also was the to one to his father. Right. And he, he also told his father. Right. And he also was the one who intended to go back later and get Joseph out of the pit. Right. And and take his, him back. His, to his father, father was not going to give Benjamin to right. Right. The the tribe you're right. going it was, back you're down. Right. It was Judah. I remember that now. But and yeah. So, yeah. Judah was being held. I believe. Yeah. Reuben's. But Reuben's character remained all through. Yeah. He still lied to his dad. <laughs> so it's, it was not crystal clear and good. But yeah. There wasn't much good coming from. No. We we can we sold him. Yeah. We can we can give him. I mean, he wasn't involved in that. Now part. we're going to war with the Ishmaelites. Yeah. yeah. Gosh. <laughs> Who are our second cousins? Yes. Basically. Yes. Yes. I, yeah, it's a. It's but a there's very there's just so story. many things like that that you kind of look at in scripture and go like, no, 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 mistakes were made here. Like this yeah. is what's wrong. Mistakes were made here, and uh, so and first of all, God knows all the possibilities. Yeah, and what is it? Heiser so, always says God knows everything real and possible. Is that what he likes to real say? Real and possible. Real and possible. Yes, both real and possible. Yeah, and the good the example he always gives of that is. 
David or is it Saul? One of the kings. I think it's David basically. Oh, yeah. It's David saying, if I go up to this city, yeah. will Saul come and will and will and the people hand me will over? The people hand me over. And he's probably using Urm and Thuman. Yeah. And so it's basically a yes or no, throwing lots type thing, but revealing the will of God. It's right. it's divination, but allowed by God. Initiated order, by God. Initiated by God. Right. Yeah. Not allowed by God. It's right. like God initiated with the Urim and Thummim. Yeah, this is how we're going to yeah. talk. Yeah, so they're a yes or no question, like, should I go up? And then the second question is, will they hand them over? Will they hand me over to Saul? And the Lord says, uh, basically, if you go up, they will hand you. If you go up, they will. Yeah, no, the first you, one wasn't a yes or no. Yeah, he was asking, if I go up, will they hand me over? Yeah, and the Lord says, yeah, they will. And so he doesn't go up. Yeah. So God knows all, and right. God told him something in the future that never happened. Right. It never happened. Nothing like it happened. He went to a different city entirely. Right. So what did God know? Right. He knew what would happen. He knew all things, both real and possible. And David made his choice. Mm-hmm. And you know, I I so, think, and and I'm and I'm actually gonna I'm I'm preaching this next week, and this is one of the things I'm going to talk about. I think this is part of the problem is that we we pedestalize people in the Bible. Like they're not spectacular. The only thing that's that's miraculous about them is that God was with them other than Jesus himself. Right. Like God was with them in particular seasons, particular moments. But they're just people. They have huge flaws, they have huge sin issues in their lives. They're not perfect. And so I've I've heard a lot of, you know, literalists or fundamentalists say, "Well, you can't compare yourself to David in the Bible. You're not David." Yeah, neither is David. Like, David's just a guy. Like, he was just a guy who, yeah, he may have been a man after God's own heart, but he was also probably a rapist and definitely a murderer. Like, he was not, he did not have clean right. hands, you know? He did not have a clean record. Neither did Solomon. Neither, I mean, you can go down the line. But we, we divide them, and we, and we put them on this almost Olympus-style pedestal. Um, and it's just not what it was. It's just not what's, not what's true. They were flawed figures. I think it's interesting that when... God writes his history, and he's compiling scripture, inspiring people to put scripture together. Yeah. He doesn't write these heroes as perfect people. No. And he doesn't ask that they be reflected that way. Yeah. It's not a, well, we could clean this guy up a little bit. Right. Because after all, we're trying to build a religion here. Yep. (laughs) It's nothing. It doesn't. If humans were to put this together, and yes, he used human writers for sure. But if you were trying to start a religion and say, you know, this is this is what we're going to use, you right. wouldn't use all these flawed people. No, no, not at all. Because <laughs> I'm I'm thinking like, how could you say something bad about any one of even? Okay, so once man does get a chance to start doing our own religion, do we look back at the popes and poke at each one of them and? Like here's all their sins and yeah. here's publicly what they did and right. this was not good and that you know, and he repented before the Lord and the Lord had mercy on him and things. Yeah. No, like it's just covered up. Yep. Basically. Well, and and that's the thing too that's interesting to me is that, it, you know, not only not only does it expose expose their flaws in ways that we see them now through the lens right. of twenty first century me, but to the culture at the time, yep, these were problems. Like people would have heard David's story and go. Well, why wasn't he stoned to death? 
Like, yeah. that was the question. that would Well, have because liked, he was king and he couldn't be. Right, right, <laughs> right. And plus he repented. You know, he was repentant. And that was what the, but it's like, these would have been questions at the time, you know? And, yeah, I, I, <laughs> I just think it's funny the, the way that we deify biblical figures because they just weren't, they weren't all that. They had their issues. I mean, even somebody as mighty as Joshua, he did not accomplish what God set him out to do when he came into the Holy Land. And he blamed the people for it. Like, he didn't yep. take any responsibility as the leader. He was like, you guys didn't do this. This isn't my fault. It's your fault. And maybe it was. I, I can't kill all these people myself. Yeah. <laughs> Caleb could have. Caleb's <laughs> just like, give me a place and I will clean it up. Don't care where it is. Caleb and his daughters. And his daughters, man. <laughs> that, that was quite a line. Yes. I, wonder, I wonder if there are any left from that line at all <laughs> or if it got stamped out during all the exiles. But, man, what a man. Yeah. What a, what a people. But anyway, I, it's it's just incredible to me how we obsess over that. And yeah, it's strange. It's strange to me. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that was my thoughts this afternoon on no, I, I what, what God's will was for Joseph. Yeah. And who he sent where. Yeah. Phew. There was uh, something else that we were discussing down here, and, and it's been something brewing in my mind for a while, and that is that things are more spiritual if they're random. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so we went down like the God's will route. And uh, this this one is interesting to me because growing up in, uh, and going to a couple different youth groups and I won't say conferences, I, don't, I didn't go to that many conferences, but just places where worship was happening and stuff, there was an emphasis put on the idea of spontaneous worship being the best thing. Yeah. And then when we plan out a set list, it can't be near as good. Yeah. Uh, because we, and planned. I was, and I was a bit from that camp at one right. point for sure. It has to be random and it's got to flow. And the, the best services are when we just throw out the script and we just go. Yes. And <laughs> <sighs> keep going. You started this. Oh, okay. What I'm saying is, and, and, what brought this to mind is there was a friend of ours and they they did a prayer and uh, they had it written out and they were kind of apologizing to me about, you know. It was amazing. I, uh, yeah, I wrote it all out because I thought I was going to be nervous. And I, and I was like, that's awesome. It was powerful. It was powerful. It was, it was them. Yeah. It was just, it was everything... It, it encouraged everyone. It's all you, all we were looking for, you know, all, all that God needed to hear, all that we needed to hear. It yeah. was, it was wonderful in every way. And I was, I, I was just prompted to say, you know what? It's not any less spiritual just because you actually took the time to think through what you wanted to say yeah. in the same way as say, think about like my wife, if she took the time to sit down and write something out for me, and put it in a card or something yeah. like that, how much more meaningful it would be than, you know, hey, uh, I was thinking of you the other day, and I quick wrote down what I thought, and here, here's, yeah. you know, on the back of whatever I was working right. on today. I don't know. There was a little more time put into it, a letter or something like that. Right. There's time put in, there's thought put in, and here it is. And I'm I'm not comparing the two. The, both are great. Both, are, both right. are her, and they both mean something to me. But one is not worth more... Than the other one, it's not somehow more spiritual just because you didn't plan anything. Yeah, 
And I've I, even heard it in how sometimes when people, and I'll, I don't mean this to demean anybody, but sometimes how people pray, like basically, Lord, just take over and have your way and like right. whatever you want to do. I get that. That's good. Right. And, and what and what can, you're basically and he can also speak through what is already written down, right? right? Like that you're, could you're you're basically saying that you're limiting how the Holy Spirit can move by saying the Holy Spirit can move in this way in a spontaneous way, but he cannot move during your preparation or speak to you during preparation. Right. Like that's insane. Like that's absolutely insane when you really think about it. And so one of the things that came to my mind when I was thinking about this is did Jesus prepare for the Sermon on the Mount? It seems like he had some thoughts. Yes, he did. And they were laid out in an order. Yes. And and either the way it was remembered or the way it was written is fairly structured. Mm-hmm. And it seems like he, if he didn't have anything written down, he had a plan going in. Yeah. The other time that he spoke, <laughs> that was probably the most powerful thing he did, was get up in his hometown <laughs> and, and read the passage from Isaiah and then says... Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And then just sat down. <laughs> and then just sat down. <laughs> oh that was gosh. planned. Yeah. And it, it wasn't spontaneous. No. This was planned. He knew. He, he looked for that passage. <laughs> he went and found he it. He went to the place. <laughs> he went to these people, to that synagogue, because he was raised there. <laughs> And he was going to say this it's just to like... these people. And what's great is they let him get up and read whatever he wants. He opens the scroll, goes and finds it, reads what's written on the page, and then goes and sits down. It's just the biggest mic drop flex ever. I oh, cannot imagine going to a service, <laughs> having a guy just read a passage. And who knows? He might have read more than that, and it just ended there. Yeah. But hearing a guy read a passage and be like, today this has been fulfilled in your hearing, and then he goes and sits down and church is over. (laughs) (laughs) All right, we're going to go eat casserole now. Oh, my goodness. You know, and I do think it's funny, and, you know, we've already taken taken some little, you know, gentle backhands at our our, uh, fundamentalist and literalist friends, so let's take some swipes at our charismatic friends as well, since we're just going around the table. But I do think it's funny, because I've, I've been in a lot of charismatic circles over the years. You know, we, we joke, you know, what was the, my dad said the one time that he's a, what did he say, a, uh, that he's a Cal, Calminian? Calvarminian. Calvarminian, yeah. And, and it's true, like, there's, there's just this reality that while we are Wesley and Arminian are thinking... Wesley had some aspects of Calvin that influenced him as well. Like he was not in a vacuum, you know. Yeah, it's why, we, it's why we're up, not just Arminian. You know, we're not just didn't Arminian. Come up with total depravity no, off the top of his head. No, he did not. And and so, but I think it's funny. All the, all these charismatic circles I've been in, you'd see these teachings and you'd hear these teachings about about the tabernacle or about David's tabernacle specifically, and they would go through all these things, and and it would blow your mind because like, oh, I've never heard this before. And I kind of came to a point later where I'm like, yeah, I've never heard this before because it's not in the Bible. Like you have gone to other places to source this or you've just made it up. Like the Holy Spirit revealed this to me. Great. How does that have any validity to me whatsoever? Because all that means is you made it up. And maybe it was the Holy Spirit, 
But also there's at least a 50-50 shot that you just made it up because it sounded good. So, like, I mean, everything from one of the big ones that I've heard is, oh, David's temple, uh, David's tabernacle was different than Moses' tabernacle. Again, give me a biblical reference as to how that's true. And but I don't but know. David's, I've you know, never heard oh, that. Oh, no, no, no. This is a whole... I'm, I'm literally giving you verbatim a teaching that oh, I heard once. Oh, boy. Uh, and, 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 and in David's tabernacle... There was no Holy of Holies. It was just this open tent. And the Holy of Holies was the, the Levites gathered. What? Yeah, let me finish. The Levites would gather around the ark and would and would just continually lift up these praises. And they were the covering that was between. And I'm like, where are you getting all of this? Like, this is nowhere. Like, where is this coming from? Give me sources. Give me anything. No, no. We'll just say the things. And of course... In a charismatic thing, you get literally the oh wow, and 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 I'll tell you, man, I know, I know, you could plot me in the middle of a charismatic church, and I could bring it, like I could speak, and I could say the things, and I could do the things, and I could bring it, and then at the very end of my message, go listen, everything I just said was garbage. I didn't say anything at all, and y'all think something just happened here. I know I could do that because I've been around it. And so, again, it's not a criticism in the sense that I don't think that there's legitimate things. I mean, I experienced amazing things uh, and amazing moves of the Holy Spirit through charismatic movements. I am eternally grateful for the experiential realities of the Holy Spirit that I have learned by being a part of charismatic circles, things that I would never have seen, never have experienced. But I'm sorry... You are not meant to be a shrine unto yourself. We need you to be the weirdos that pull us towards experience with God. We don't need you to just be off in a circle pretending like you're discovering deep things of the Bible that aren't even in the Bible. Like, no, we need you to be the weirdos with us. You know, the more fundamentalist types, we need you to be the grounding, you know, rule keepers for us. And we need each other. This is not little exclusive circles that we need to create outside. Yeah. We become useless to the kingdom when we decide that we got to go and pursue our particular flavor entirely. Actually, whenever I hear a book that's poking at the charismatics, I almost take it personally in oh, yeah. some ways because I'm like, I identify with a lot of that stuff. Absolutely. I, and you throw out too much. Right. Because Just, the things that are discovered in the freedom that's offered there yes. is are worth something. Yes. And here's one of the best things that I've ever heard taught in those environments. And one of the best things is to just not not sensationalize things, but just plant the word of truth exactly as it is. Don't hybridize it. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. Yeah. If something is true, just let it be true. Yeah. And I think that would help so much within charismatic circles. Let's let's let God move and do his thing and offer people freedom and a place to be free and right. encourage freedom in, within the church in places that it's not by being the weirdos. And I will count myself as one of them. And I say I think, that affectionately. Yes. Like I that say is that, not a slam. I say that as, like, I would like to be president of the Odd Ducks. Right. Well, <laughs> I, think, I think of, it's good. And a lot of people, because of how demonstrative I am in worship, right. and because of how, like, they would put me, they would say, well, you're very charismatic. It's like, yeah. well, like, what does that mean when you say that? What do you mean when you say oh, that? Oh, I'm fine. I'm actually fine with the label. Oh, I, I, have no... I would be fine if somebody said I'm a charismatic Nazarene, just like there's charismatic... Yeah. But I'm uh, even over that. Like my whole thing is like, is it biblical or does it violate biblical principles? Right. 
That's all I care about. Yeah. I don't care what your label is because your label is just an identifier yeah. that really doesn't matter. It's like weird identity politics in the church. <laughs> I do I do enjoy when people try to label me. I think that's good. And yeah. I'm like, okay. Yeah. I, I just, it's like when people try to label me politically now. Like it just gets squirrely and they can't put a finger on where I'm at. And I like that. I do. But again, I, I, I say that, you know, fully being willing and aware. Like there are people that that are more out on that edge that I want to have pray for me and I want to have involved in my life and I want to have them pull me towards those things. Um, so it's not a criticism. It's not, and I've learned things from people that are more charismatic, from people that are more traditionalist, more fundamentalist. I mean, there's all, there's something to be had in all of these movements right? because they're all still spirit breathed. They may have their issues. They may have their excesses and both sides do. I don't care how fundamentalist you are, you still have excesses in your theology. And the thing I love about a Wesleyan theology is there's room for all of this. Yes. There's room for the weirdos on every side. And and I I do. I, I just I've I've reached this new level of kind of heartbroken over seeing seeing people divide over these things instead of realizing, no, 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 we're supposed to bring this kind of tension to the church, to each other. Right. Um, and it's supposed and to be each messy. Other, love each other through it. That's right. It's supposed to be messy, and it's supposed to be hard. But anyway, be- because the church is a hospital, yeah. it's not. It, it's a place where people come to get better, to grow, right, and to heal, and do that continually. We're we're healing together. We're learning together. Right. We're walking together, and not not all of us have it figured out. No, and none of us have it figured out. <laughs> Right. Not even not all of us, just none of us. <laughs> none of us have, have it all figured out. And it's, I don't know. That's why, to me, I think it's important to say that it's okay to have things that are planned. Yeah. And it's okay to have things that are spontaneous. Yes. But one is not more spiritual than the other. We always say we rehearse and we practice so we can deviate. Right. And you prepare so that you can go off script. Right. And people forget, you know, they see they see Bethel or they see... Jesus culture, or back in the day, you know, you'd see Brownsville or, you know, Hills or whoever it was. Hopper, but everybody forgets. Like, these are flipping professional musicians. These are not just, you know, somebody's dad that plays every once in a while or that had a guitar and played once and can I get it out and play for... Like, these are people who this is all they do. They are professional musicians. You can do things with a professional musician that you cannot do with somebody's mom or dad that just happens to play in the worship team. And I say that having a ton of moms and dads that are awesome. Uh, you know, it's just not a thing. Like, they, what they produce is good and spontaneous because they are professionals. No, I'll be that example. I was at a church where we didn't have much of a worship team. So yeah. I picked up a guitar and dedicated myself. I had already learned a little bit of it, but I'm like, I'm going to actually pursue this a little mm-hmm. bit more because I want to worship and this seems like right. the only way. Right. And so I helped lead a wor- small worship team for a little while. And when I came to the NAS, I was like, ah, they do not need this particular skill from me. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not going to make it a thing. And I haven't touched a guitar in like 17 years. But that's even funny to me because it's like, we all started out there. Exactly. We, like, I started out in that place. Like, you know, I learned to play every instrument I've learned other than bass because we had a gap in our worship team. Like, we went through a season where guitar players were just not around, and we had a surplus of bass players. So I'm like, well, guess I'm going to play guitar now. 
And so I started playing guitar actively. I'd done it just for fun. Yeah. But I wasn't good. Like, it was not good when I started playing. I even bought a very basic bass guitar and an amp because we needed a bass on the team and somebody else could play guitar. And I was like, okay. So I played bass for a while. God loves all the music, but basses are his favorite. I'm just saying. (laughs) Basses are his favorite. Basses are his favorite. (laughs) Has been affirmed to me again. I had to play for our rehearsal this past Wednesday. And I played my original bass that was the first one that I ever bought with my own money. I haven't played it in 20 years. And it was glorious. And I was just like, oh, I miss this. I'm a much better bass player than I am a guitar player. It was the instrument that David played. That's right. (laughs) They just misspelled it. But that's the thing. like The liar is close to the guitar. But it is is funny. I mean, going back to that whole thing, like, you know, I, I I look at somebody who's a literalist biblically, and I'm like, and they'll talk about something biblical, and I'm like, Yes, I understand that's what it says in English, but that's not what it means. And with those in the charismatic thing, I go, where did you even find that? Like, get, what what is that? Give me something. Like, and I don't even need you to give me a biblical reference. Like, who, like, where did that teaching come from? Like, tell me. Like, what's your source? There are no sources. It's just a thing that I read on the internet or that's and, like, it's, it's just, whew. Yeah. And so again, there there are that's part of the excesses of both sides on that, and I say that because they're our sides, they're our fringes, and this is why I can be critical of them, and why I can say loving loving things that I agree or disagree with. They're still part of us. Oh, I would say even more so. This is stuff that I believed. Yes, that I I definitely believe that random was more spiritual yeah. than. It, there was down. a there was a time when we would make a set list, but I had I had a I had a big poster board with just a ton of our songs listed so that I could look down and be like, oh, we should do that one. Oh, we'll go there. And we would run our services like that for a while. Um, but it got to the point where, and this is the funny thing. Uh, this is what I'll conclude with of this, this okay. section. Everything, every form of Christianity has a liturgy. There we go. I remember having this conversation with my cousin at one point where he just looked at me. He's like, well, everything's liturgical. And I was like, no, it's not. And he goes, yeah. He's like, what do you guys do on a Sunday morning? I'm like, well, we do this and we do this and we do that. And then this happens. And that's, yeah, that's your liturgy. And I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Charismatics, you have a liturgy at your overly spontaneous church. You do. Yep. Everybody does because we're humans. We like pattern. It's just, it's part of how our brains process. I don't know if it's, if it's part of our actual image of God or if it's just something that we just do reactionary, in a reactionary way. I don't know. But we do. We like pattern. We like consistency. And even in the most spontaneous things I've seen, you kind of have those moments where you go, oh, this is happening. You know, this is a thing that's going to happen. Oh, and there it is. Now it's happening. Yeah. You know, you can see it. You can feel it. You can sense it. And, uh, you know, I remember one of our sound guys talking at one point where he said, you know, I know, I know exactly what dial to push at what moment to get hands to go up all over the room. And that's not a manipulation. It's an understanding of your craft and an understanding of reading the room and being a part of what's I mean, going on you and being could immersed have in it. The same song, the same people playing the same thing, and it could sound dead and flat in yeah. the room, and everybody be like, "Yeesh, this is not right. Fun, it's not happening. Not a fun place to be in right. at all." Right. You know, and it's part of what brings freedom. It, when things right. sound good, there's there's that freedom for you to not sound good because everything else sounds just fine. Mm-hmm. So lift and, up your joyful noise. Right. And and again, and this will be a quick tie-in to where we're going to go at least for a little bit here at the end. 
Um, but one of the things we did, we were just in Indianapolis together yeah. a couple of weekends ago. I was just going to go there. And across from the convention center that we were at was a Catholic church. Yep. And I, I love going into Catholic churches, just period, because it's such a, a tactile, experiential thing to, to walk in there and see all these paintings that are original. You know, they're not copies. They're not like they're an original painting that somebody did for this particular church. Uh, seeing the statues, seeing the places of prayer. And, and there is something uniquely holy about it. Yeah. Um, and, and no, I'm not one that would say that the Catholic that Catholics are not Christian. If, if you think that, God bless you and your internet ministry, but it's just not true. Like I have, I have known some yes. devout, truly believing brother and sister Catholics, and they're not as few as everybody wants to pretend they are. Um, but we actually got the opportunity to go in. Mass had just let out. Right. And so it was post-mass. You could still smell the incense. You could still... And there was just... And, and correct me if I'm wrong, because you were there too. There was just a true sense of like the Holy Spirit in that place. Right. Walking into there. And there were still people that were you know, praying very earnestly and, and doing some different things throughout. And it was just this like holy, like hushed thing when you walked into that building where you're just like... You felt it in that sanctuary. And then out in the foyer, you know, the priest is out there and they're all just talking and hanging out and doing what normal church people do, you know. Hanging out after yeah, church. Coming out, yeah, coming out after church. And so um, this is where I, I, I look at that and I'm like, even, even though so many people would be critical of the Catholic Church, and there are criticisms to be had, just like with every movement of God, there are things where, the, where we've gotten too much right. of our own hands in it and we've got things that we've messed up a little bit. But my goodness, he was there unquestionably. And that's as liturgical as you're going to get. But he was there, without a doubt. So, I don't know. I don't know. I think I think we need to re- be really careful about the chains and the gates that we put on the Holy Spirit in the name of our movement. And I know I've said a lot of things that some people could construe as that. Um, but that's genuinely how I feel. we got to be really careful about those things. We can question. We can ask questions. Right. We can be discerning. Um, but it's not a. It's not a vendetta. It's not a. You know, we're not. Uh, we're not spiritual uh, vigilantes. No. Like we. That's not what we're called to be or do. One of the things that struck me in new members class is how it's we we talk about the church is the body of Christ. And it will look culturally different, yeah, in different places and in different times, yeah. Like it will the the whole the way we do it, right? Basically, and is going to reflect our culture, our people, who we are, and our particular expression of it. But we're still the body of Christ. He's still the right. head. the The parts all function the same way, right? You know, and partaking in the sacraments, the, the whole thing but that it will look culturally different in different ways. And I thought about this when we were at General Assembly. You have thousands of Nazarenes coming to Indy, and we're all in one spot, all worshiping. And you can see people worshiping in different ways all the way across. And all the different cultures kind of blending together. And sometimes we'd sing hymns, and sometimes it was praise choruses. Sometimes it was in other languages. Sometimes it was in other languages. 
And at the end, some people thought it was the greatest service they've been in, and some people were complaining it was too loud. <laughs> so you know it was about right. <laughs> and I just thought in the middle of all that, it'll look culturally different in right. different places at different times. Right. And and that, I think that's one of the things that has greatly informed the way I view the church. You know, growing up Nazarene, we've always been a massively international church, and it's become more so. Yeah. The older I've gotten. I mean, even our leadership is is international now. Our 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 highest offices in the Church of the Nazarene have have people from all over the world in them now. Um and so I've always had this understanding that like it's never gonna look exactly the same everywhere. I mean, you walk in any Nazarene church in the United States, your experience is gonna be totally different at almost every single one. Right. You go overseas, that gets magnified, you know, all the more. Um, and so I've always had this sense of there is no right way. You know, there are basic things that we all have to agree on that we believe that yep. make us Christian, and of course, specific things that make us Nazarene. But that's pretty loose. Like it's, yeah, it's we it's, have a whole manual that details yeah. these things. It's, but there's still the freedom to express that yes, how you want. Yes, there are, and. And I don't know. I mean, I, I always love, you know, again, like like Shelton said, our, our General Assembly, it happens uh, every four years, and it is all the Nazarenes from all over the world, not every single one of them, but representations from all over the world uh, coming to do business, to vote on changes to the Constitution, which is incredibly mind-numbingly hard, which I love. My soul loves it so much. It should be difficult. I don't like these people who talk about governance in any form. It needs to be efficient and it should get things done. No, I want it to be a drudge and I want it to be hard to change things and I want it to have to have a lot of agreement for people to want to change things and I want it to be an effort. And uh, the well, Church of the Nazarene. A good for instance of that is we were electing two general superintendents yes. <laughs> to our board of general superintendents, which has seven? Six. 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 On it. Yeah. So we have six individuals. We are replacing two. Two and phenomenal, these, phenomenal these men. individuals are selected from a blank ballot. Yep. So there's every, all the delegates, 600-some delegates, fill out a ballot with a name on it. You tally them up, and you need two-thirds yes. of the voting body before you seat a general. Right. And uh, <laughs> it was, it, I think this time it took 55. Yeah. No, th no that was the longest one. This one took 35 till they got to the first one. Yes. And then only two more to get to the, I think it was only two or three more to get yeah, to the second the one. The final one. Yeah. But yeah, it was, it was 35 ballots. Right. And each of these is a half hour more worth of voting. Right. Right. And it was, <laughs> that, it, is that is a dreadful process. Right. But it helps to know that anybody in the, anybody could have been selected. Yeah. Up until the age of 70 or so. Yeah. They, and they could have been selected and the whole body coalesced around two, two thirds of them. Right. Coalesced around one person. It brings a lot of comfort to the process. Right. And yeah, it is hard to change the manual. Yeah. There's, you know, these groups working on it and they present it to a committee and then the committee votes and it's, yeah. it's designed to not change the manual. Right. right. And it's, and it has changed very little. If I, ha I have one from, Oh, let me think. How back? How far back is that? I think I have one from the 1940s. I was in a pastor's office who had almost everyone yeah. going back into like the 20s. Yeah, I want to get all of them. I think I have like a like a paper like a copy of one from from the 
the early 20s or something like that. But I want I want to get all of them. I want to physically have them because uh, that interests me. Um, but it is. It's, it's, a, it's a really cool process, and, and I appreciate it. Every year that I get to go to General Assembly, again, it's every four years, but every time I get to go, I'm just – I'll have at least one moment where I just get overwhelmed and I just stand there and cry because I'm just like – this is us. Like, this is our, this is my tribe. These are my people. And they're from everywhere. And they're from every walk of life. And they're from every economic standing and every skin color you can imagine and every language you can think of. And it's us. Like, these are my people. And it just, man, it just, even now, like, I can just feel that thing that, that rises up in me. And again, it does come from being a lifelong Nazarene, but I think it's something that's palpable if you're a part of the Church of the Nazarene at all. And I would ask you that, again, since this was your first time there. Right. There's just that sense to me, and I feel like it happens every time. And it's uh, When it hit me the most was when they were talking about the section in our manual that says, we believe in the priesthood of all believers. Yeah. And, and basically, if we're going to say that, we need to commission our people, and we don't care if they're clergy or not, if they're clergy or lay or whatever. Um, we're going to commission you for service because yeah. the kingdom of God needs you wherever you serve. Yep. And we believe in the priesthood of all believers. And they had volunteers that were throughout just a throng of probably about 5,000 people or so that were in the building that night. Yeah. And um, they started handing out stoles, like yeah. the, the long ribbon that goes down both sides of like a, right. a traditional pastor might wear. Yep. And it says, uh, commission, what did it say? To serve the Lord or like right. commission to serve or something. Yeah. Yeah. And then the, was. so one side was Jesus is Lord, which is the slogan yeah. of, of, Jesus is Lord. of the general assembly this year or that year, I guess it's still this year cause it yeah. just happened. And then on the other side, it was, it was commissioned to serve or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Commission for service or yeah. something like that. Yeah. And it was a really good, tangible way of taking something that you say that you believe yep. and actually doing it and saying, no, you are commissioned to walk out these doors and not just serve the church, but to serve the Lord wherever you go. Yeah. And I loved it. Yes. That, to me, honestly, if there is something I'm most passionate about, it's just seeing people released into their area of ministry, wherever that is. And it doesn't have to be within the four walls of the church, but right. just come alive in your gifting and use the gifts that God has given you in the place where you already are. Right. And just be awakened to what he wants to do in yeah. and through you. Um, if that happens in the people around me, I'm having my best life. Yeah. That's that's what I like to see. Yeah. Agreed. More than any platform or anything that I would get. I, I enjoy equipping people and yeah. being like, hey, you you get to do this and I'm excited for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For me it's it's that whole thing of finally seeing somebody get it. Yeah. Like when you see the lights come on, that is that is just there's nothing better. Yeah. There's nothing better than that. <laughs> yeah. For yeah. sure. And I do think there's a part of it where I, I'm I'm one of those people that I get I get vicarious thrills. So, like, I just introduced my son to Indiana Jones. We've played the Lego Indiana Jones video games, but I actually got to show him Raiders a couple of nice. days ago. And I love that because it's like I get to experience it for the first time again. I get to experience it through somebody else's eyes again who has never experienced it, never seen it. And that's how I feel when it, whether it's whether it's somebody coming to Jesus or so, like I get this thing where I'm like, I remember that. Like, I remember 
that moment. I remember that revelation, that realization that you're having right now and how transformative it was for me. Yeah. And, and man, there's just, there's just something, there's something in that. There's something in that for sure. Yeah. Well, this has been a very random grab bag, <laughs> but we knew it would be, and I have enjoyed it immensely. How dare Nelson start this off? Stupid Nelson. <laughs> He's ruining a perfectly good episode. <laughs> oh, man. But, you know, he's... Again, we love him. He's, he's pleased. Ours. Nelson is pleased, so I'm not going to argue with it. <laughs> All right, guys. Sheldon, tell them how I can, they can find us yeah, and complain I, about us best, or whatever it may best be. The best thing you can do is give us a, a rating on iTunes yes. and, and tell us what you thought of this episode. <laughs> That'd be great. Uh, each episode you can rate or you can rate the show overall. Either one is good. Yes. And it helps us a ton. Uh, you guys are listening and we appreciate that. And you can always reach out to us on any of our social media at TTWS Podcast. Our mail is the things we say at mail.com. Facebook.com slash the things we say podcast. Yeah. We need to do another live one at some point. It's been a long <laughs> oh, time no. since we've done a Facebook live. Let's do it. And we need to do that again. But uh, yeah, guys, thanks so much for listening and I will catch you later. Thanks for joining the conversation today. The things we say is produced by Nate Ward. Technical direction is provided by Sheldon Stauffer. You can subscribe to The Things We Say on SoundCloud and iTunes. Don't forget to like us on Facebook at The Things We Say Podcast to keep the conversation going. This has been The Things We Say. See you next time.